ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you would, take your Bible, turn with us to Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 17, as we examine how to recognize a soul winner. How to recognize a soul winner. Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 17. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have, therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. We are entering the final section of the book of Romans. And throughout this great book, Paul has been dealing with the great doctrinal themes of the Christian faith. He struck a note so clear and so powerful that there's no disputing his logic or doubting his conclusions. Now as he nears the end of his letter to the Roman Christians, he begins to speak of things that are personal in nature. Before he closes, Paul wants to share his heart and his motives for service with the believers in Rome. One of the great things that becomes clear about this man from this passage is the fact that he has a heart for the lost. Paul was a great preacher. There's no doubt about that. Paul was a very prolific writer. After all, his pen gave us 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Paul was a very prolific writer. He was a pioneer missionary. He traveled from place to place, starting churches and feeding the sheep of the Lord. Yet, running through all of this was the fact that Paul had a deep, burning desire to see men saved. Everywhere this man journeyed, he told men about Jesus Christ. When he was chained as a prisoner of Rome, Paul was telling men about Jesus. And when he stood before kings and world rulers, he told them about Christ. And when he encountered a group of women praying by the river in Acts chapter 16, he told them about Jesus Christ. Paul's heart was aflame with the message of the gospel. He wanted men to know the same Jesus he himself knew so well. And in these verses that we've read, Paul's heart becomes as a soul winner and it becomes very clear to us as he shares his personal thoughts. He paints a portrait of what an actual soul winner is. I may be wrong, but I believe that within the heart of every person, 
who is saved by the grace of God, there is a desire to see people saved. And verse 14, we see the characteristics of a soul winner. Paul begins this passage, he addresses the Romans not as a superior, but he addresses them as a brother. After having shared some of the most profound doctrines of the faith and after admonishing them to do what he says, Paul takes a minute to encourage them in the Lord. He wants them to know that he believes in them and in their heart for the Lord. And as he lists their characteristics, we need to see what he says about these folks because that's true about every person who has a desire to bring men to Jesus Christ. Paul's first statement to them was that they were full of goodness. Now, this, of course, simply means that they're filled with goodness that only comes from the Lord. These Roman Christians were just like everyone else who had ever lived. They were born into this world as wicked sinners in need of a Savior. And as members of the human race, there was no good dwelling in them, according to Romans 3 and verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. In fact, there's no good in the universe apart from the person of God himself. When Jesus was visited by the rich young ruler, the young man called Jesus good. And the Lord's reply is worthy of noticing. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17, where the Bible says, He said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Jesus says that there is none good but God. Yet Paul tells these Romans that they are filled with goodness. What does he mean? He's merely speaking of the goodness that they have received when they trusted Jesus by faith for salvation. If Jesus said in Matthew 19 and verse 17 that there's none good but God, then the only way that we can get goodness is from the one who is good is from God. That's the only way we can get goodness. When they were born again, they received the Holy Spirit, and along with him, they received goodness from the Lord, Galatians 5, verse 22. This new birth transformed their lives so that now they were able to do the things that were good in the sight of God, and that showed those who were watching there was life-changing power in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the most important characteristic of a soul winner is that he or she is saved by the grace of God. Perhaps one of the reasons that many are not used of the Lord to bring men to Christ is the fact that they themselves have never been born again. There's not a burden for the sinner on their heart. There's no reality to their testimony. Their life does not point men to Christ because they don't know him. 
By the way, your life is either an advertisement for the Lord Jesus Christ or it's a statement that the gospel has no power. That's right. Our lives is either an advertisement of the Lord Jesus Christ or it is a statement that simply says the gospel doesn't work. So the number one characteristic for a soul winner is that he is filled with a goodness that comes from being saved, from being born again. But in addition to that, these folks possessed a heavenly learning. Now Paul tells them that they have knowledge of spiritual things, and I, I think the knowledge he's referring to has to do with knowing the Word of God. One of the necessary ingredients in the life of any soul winner is the ingredient of knowing the Word of God. And as we study the Word of God, it creates within us a desire to see men saved. Why? Because it's in the pages of the Bible that we learn that men are lost sinners in need of a Savior. We learn that these lost people, lost men, women, boys, and girls are headed to hell without God. And we learn that just as God loved us and saved us, he'll do the same for them if they'll trust him to do it. It is there that we also learn how to tell people about Jesus Christ. We learn that the most powerful witnessing tool we have is the Word of God. It will speak to hearts and it brings men to Jesus. Friends, our study and our increasing knowledge of the Bible ought to birth a desire in our hearts to see people saved. If it doesn't, we should ask ourselves if we really believe the Word of God or not. I mean, how can we learn of men going to hell and not be moved? How can we see their lost condition and it not break our hearts? There's something fundamentally wrong with people growing fat on the Word of God and not sharing the message with those who do not know Christ. Paul continues, he points out that they also possess a heavenly love. As Paul moves deeper, he tells them that their goodness and their knowledge are to be used to admonish one another. Now this is a word that means to rebuke, it means to warn, it means to exhort. In the New Testament, it often refers to the ministry of the pastor who's called upon to admonish the church. That is, he is to warn them, exhort them, and encourage them, and from time to time, even rebuke them. The idea is that of communicating the truth of God to someone in order to help them in their own personal walk. There are times when this word is used of the Christian community, such as Colossians 3 and verse 16. It speaks of the necessity of Christians rebuking and warning and exhorting one another. By the way, this is one of the missing components in the modern church. Most believers don't have the love for their fellow believers or the courage to go up to them and tell them when they may or may not be in error. And if they do have that courage, many of them lack the tact that they need to do so. In addition to that, many believers don't have the grace to accept it either. 
I think the idea that's in view here is loving one another and loving that person enough to tell them the truth. When a pastor loves the church he pastors, he's going to tell them the truth even if it hurts. And when believers love one another, they will speak the truth in love to one another. Now, if we move into the realm of soul winning, which is our focus right now, Paul is telling us to love the sinner enough to tell them the truth. That's what Paul did in Acts chapter 20, verse 31. This is what we need to do as well. Maybe a lost man don't want to hear the truth, but they must be told nonetheless. What creates within us this greater love for the lost that we will go and tell them about Christ, nothing less than a great love for Jesus Christ himself will produce that. Instead of praying for a burden for the lost, I think we as a church needs to, we need to fall in love with Jesus all over again. When we do, there will flow from us his love for the lost. There will dwell within our hearts his burden for the lost. When we love Jesus more than anything, his love will reach out through us to reach this world for his glory. I read an illustration a couple years ago about a young little deaf boy named Bud Walker who did not have the opportunity that our deaf people have today to have interpreters and all of the things that are there to assist them. And so as a teenage boy, he had reached his teen years and was not a Christian. They had tried in every means possible to get the gospel over to him, but they didn't have interpreters and the kinds of things that we do today. But somehow the Holy Spirit of God was still able to break through, and somehow the Spirit of God touched his heart in a revival meeting early in the week. And so Bud Walker came walking down the aisle and bowed his head and got on his knees, and they prayed around him. And in a little while, the Lord Jesus came into his heart. And Bud was so thrilled that Jesus was in his heart, but he couldn't articulate it. And so Bud began to point to his heart and point toward heaven. He'd point to heaven and then he'd point to his heart and he would smile. And they knew that Jesus had come into his heart. That's not the end of that story, though. Throughout the rest of that week, Bud Walker was used of God to win more people to Christ in that revival than any other person in the entire building. And here's what he would do during the invitation. Bud Walker, who could not talk, would walk to some person in the congregation who knew and loved him. He'd put his arms around him. He'd press them for just a little bit, and then he'd point his hand toward heaven. Then he'd point towards his heart, and he'd point toward their heart, and he'd point toward the aisle, and there they'd go down the aisle receiving Jesus. And one after one, one after another, he pointed them toward heaven, and he'd point to his heart and their heart, and then he'd point down the aisle. And as I read that story, I thought to myself, Lord, here we are. Here I am, a good voice. Here I am with a mind that's able to think. And here I am with a body that's healthy. Oh, God, help us to engage. Help me to engage in the ministry 
an admonition to the lost to get into the hearts of lost people and to take the love of Christ, which is in my heart, and to put it into their heart. As we prepare to leave this thought behind, how are you doing? Do you possess a heavenly life, a heavenly learning, and heavenly love? Those are the characteristics of a soul winner. Verses 15 and 16, we see the conduct of a soul winner. As one who loved the lost, Paul tells us about his activities in that arena. And here he uses the language of the priesthood in the tabernacle to remind us that we're all priests in the Lord's work. Peter would later add to that. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. And as priests, we all have certain responsibilities that we're to perform. And Paul speaks about the responsibility of the Christian priest in these verses. Number one, they're to be engaged in a proclaiming work. Paul says that he is a minister. The word refers to one who is busied with holy things carries the idea of a person engaged in the public ministries of God. Paul is simply saying that he has busied himself with the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And this is what he means by the phrase ministering the gospel. Paul has been busy spreading the word. And as we pass through this world, there's no greater calling than that of being a soul winner. It's greater than that of being president. It overshadows that of being a preacher. There is nothing as vital and wonderful as the ministry of sharing the gospel of grace with a lost and dying world. What's so great about it is that every Christian is called to do it. Only a few get to preach. But every child of God gets to be a soul winner. Whenever you go in this life, the Lord has placed you there to tell others about him, about what he's done for you, and about his plan of salvation. That place where you work, that community where you live, that little Sunday school class, wherever it may be, God has placed you there as a minister of the gospel. You are his priest in that place, and he wants you to be busy with holy things. Friends, there's nothing as holy and as sacred as being involved in telling a dying world about a living Lord. But verse 16, Paul shows us that they are engaged in a priestly work. They're going about doing sacred duties. One of the primary duties of the priest was that of intercession. The priest would enter the tabernacle and place incense on the altar of incense. And as the smoke rose before the Lord, he would place the names of the people, which he wore across his chest before the Lord in prayer. Now this speaks to us. One of the reasons we're so ineffective in bringing men to Christ is that we have not gotten them on our hearts. We've not labored for them before the Lord with a burden on our souls for their salvation. We've not become broken by their need and moved by their lost condition. And we will never see souls saved in abundance 
until we learn to weep over them before the Lord, until we learn to carry them on our hearts, until we're consumed with a burden for their new birth. Isaiah 66 and verse 8 says, Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. One of the greatest evangelists of days gone by was a man by the name of Hyman Appleman. After a service one night, a lady came up to him and said, Brother Appleman, I'd like for you to pray for my two teenage boys. They're not saved. And I want to see them saved so very much, but they're not saved. And he said, well, lady, are you and your husband Christians? She said, yes, we are. We come to the services regularly. He said, do you have a family altar in your home? She said, yes, sir. We have had family altar in our home ever since these boys were young, and yet these boys are not saved. And he said, are you faithful to the services of the church? And she said, yes, sir. We come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And then Brother Appleman looked at her and he said, Lady, I, I don't want to be unkind to you, but I'm going to tell you why your boys aren't saved. And she said, Oh, please tell me. He said, Madam, your boys are not saved because your eyes are dry. And the lady turned and walked away and that struck her heart. Your eyes are dry. She didn't go to sleep that night. She spent that night in prayer to God, and she wept, and she prayed. And she got a broken heart for her two lost teenage boys. And the next morning at the breakfast table, when the older boy came to the table and sat down, she began to just pour out her heart. She cried, and she prayed all night for his soul. And she said, oh, son, more than anything else in this world, I want you to be saved. And the younger boy came and heard what she was saying and ran from the room and the older boy was saved. Later on that afternoon, the younger boy came and said, Mother, I want you to know that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior this afternoon. He said, Mother, I got up during the night and I couldn't sleep and I went to go get a drink of water and I passed by your room and, and Mother, I heard you crying and I heard you, heard you, I thought you were sick and Mother, I stepped into your room and I saw you prostrate on the carpet and I heard you praying and I heard you calling my name. And Mama... When I heard you talking to my brother at the table this morning, I couldn't stand it any longer. I was, I was under such deep conviction. And mother, I ran to my room and I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. Friends, that's how we see sinners saved. And the reason why we don't see people saved is because we have dry eyes. But I want you to see very quickly that they were engaged in the presenting work. Every priest must have a sacrifice that he can offer to the Lord. Of course, the first sacrifice we are to offer is ourselves on the altar of service. There are other sacrifices that we should alter, uh, offer to the Lord as well. Paul says that his sacrifice is the Gentiles. Do you see that? The Lord had placed them as a burden on his heart. Paul says he will offer them up to God as a sacrifice for the glory of God. God laid them on Paul's heart. He interceded for them before the Lord, and then he went and told them about God. 
Those who believe he was able to lay on the altar as a redeemed sacrifice to the glory of God. As hard as it may be for us to hear, the truth is this. You can tell how much a person loves Christ by how much he shares the gospel. You can tell how much a church is serving Jesus by looking at the redeemed souls they lay on the altar before the Lord. Some might protest and say, but isn't it God that saves souls? Absolutely. It doesn't happen apart from his sovereign grace and will. However, he does allow his people to be involved. He burdens our hearts, fills us with that message, empowers us with his, with his spirit. Paul closes out in verse 17. And he shows us the compensation of a soul winner. They experience rejoicing on a personal level. Paul says that he has a reason to glory or rejoice in what the Lord's doing in his life. Without a doubt, one of the secrets to a happy Christian life is that of being used of the Lord to bring men to faith in Christ. That's seen in Psalm 126 and verse 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. By the way, nothing will transform a dead, dry church any quicker than souls being saved. Nothing will change your home more than a baby being born into it. It's one of the happiest and most exciting times of life. So it is in the church. There are million-dollar churches all around that are dead cemeteries because they do not bring men to Christ. There are little churches operating out of storefront buildings that are bubbling over with the joy of the Lord because they're taking that message of salvation to the world that desperately needs to hear it. Paul says, on a spiritual level, all glory goes to God. Paul never really won a soul. Jesus did it through him. Therefore, all the glory must go to the Lord Jesus and to him alone. Therefore, when a soul is saved on visitation or in one of these services around, we need to slip off somewhere and thank the Lord for using us. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.